This talk was recorded at the 2019 Actuarial Society of South Africa Convention at the Sandton Convention Centre. For more information on the Actuarial Society, visit actuarialsociety.org.za. Welcome to hell. <laughs> now close the doors and now, <laughs> <Luck>. now leave. <laughs> no. Uh, my name is uh, Dominic Khaubepi. My full name is Akhuizio Namudimu, Dominic Khaubepi. Akhuizio Namudimu being a Zwana name, which means only God knows. That's what it means. <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding with you, only God knows. Uh, Dominic, uh, while being born in a Catholic family, and you know how the Catholics do when they roll, when you have baby, sprinkle, sprinkle, we dub be Dominic, that's where the second name came from. Subsequently found out that the name Dominic actually means belonging to God. So it's always fascinating sometimes how, you know, first names in different languages, but when you find the root meanings, there's an uncanny alignment that comes through there. But anyway, story for another day. You're not here to listen to me talking about myself. Uh, we're from an organization called Cohesion Collective. We're a specialist organization in equality, diversity, and inclusion. This is the work pretty much that we do on a day-to-day -day basis. We do this work uh, primarily within corporates. So from your corporate organizations with like your headcount 50 through to the guys that have your 16,000, 25,000 headcount. We work with multinationals within the space where diversity and inclusion is concerned. And that although we've got a particular South African context that we can all appreciate when you work in the space, but wherever human beings exist, inclusion is an is issue, right? Because as human beings, it's just a whole bunch of chamorros that we need to get out of our systems. And so for us, it's quite encouraging in that, you know, the different geographies, the different, different jurisdictions, the different challenges that are there, but inclusion is still the thing that many organizations are trying to drive for. We do this work, we've been fortunate to work with South African organizations that have now become multinationals, and it's always fascinating even from that perspective, because the Americans and the British and, so many, and those others coming here, we can understand those dynamics. But it's quite fascinating when you then find homegrown countries and how it is that they've grown in areas like your Cote d'Ivoire and your Uganda and Ghana, uh, Syria, like fascinating. But still inclusion is something that human beings are trying to drive for. So really this morning we are hoping that you're going to derive a lot of value with what it is that we're going to present for you. We will have a very particular focus regarding really how do you unlock talents within your space, how do you attract talent within your spaces, and how do you become truly inclusive. Because as organizations, we love to preach inclusion, but actually, when I come into your space, you're like, yeah, Dominic wants to be included, but as long as you behave in this way, yeah, which is not really inclusion, but we think we do inclusion. But these are some of the things that we'll unpack as we go through the morning. Yeah. Morning. I'm the other half, Roy. Uh, we should have swapped these name tags. We can reshuffle them. We can reshuffle them, yeah. Um, thanks for attending. Uh, this conversation, I think, we only have an hour and 10 minutes, and we need like 110 hours really to have this conversation. So we have somebody who's going to be sketching, and we're going to speak so quickly in this hour and 10 minutes. So you're going to have to exercise some of those risks because we've got a lot to kind of position, right? Yeah. Dominic said something really interesting to me yesterday, and it's something which has landed quite meaningfully, and we'd like to share it with you today, and it's this. Whether you guys like it or not, you either are doing inclusion or you're not doing inclusion in your organization. Bringing us in or having a conversation isn't the start of the conversation. Inclusion, the experience of it, is either happening or it's not happening. There is no, we're not doing inclusion, we're not thinking about inclusion today. It is always happening, right? So really, when we're coming into organizations, we're saying, it's always happening. It's happening or it's not happening, right? You might say, what is it? We'll unpack these more, but the experience is there. It's either good or bad. So now what we need to start doing is how do we start owning the experience? How do we start creating the experience? How do we start driving, manipulating, supporting the experience, not only of talent within our organizations, but also of leadership? What are the leadership behaviors we want to drive? What is this organizational culture we want to unlock, right? This is the conversation that brings all of these together. Inclusion, doing inclusion or not doing inclusion, is not separate to your talent agenda. It is not separate to leadership development. It is not separate to organizational culture fostering. It is the same thing. And I think with the frustration, or rather what motivates us to continue to do this work, is all we're seeing, or we see the conversation around inclusion localized in this comment. What are our numbers? What are our numbers? How many black people, how many women do we have? 
And that's the last 10 minutes of a long board meeting when the whole day we spoke about strategy. And the last minute is like, ooh, HR, what are our numbers? Good, ooh, bad. Okay, let's chat about the bad next board meeting, great. That's it. But then we talk about how important talent is to our organization. Talent is our future. But we don't really want to talk about the experience of talent and how we can unlock talent fully within our space. And for us, inclusion is the way we're going to unlock that. So we'd love to kind of engage with you today. We're not here to talk at you. We had to talk with you, so kind of let's kind of start. Why are you here? Why did you attend this session? Choose to attend this session. We have had answers all the way from all the other stuff was too actuarial and I wanted a break. So you can say whatever it is that you want here today. Why are you here? How can we add value for you as an individual? Come. We facilitators, we're just going to sit and wait in the silence until somebody breaks. This is what we do. Now, let me tell you, for those of you who are leaders or managers in this space here today, the fact that it's a feeling should terrify you. Because we can change the bean bags and the pods and the management and the na 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 na. That does not mean it's going to change the employee experience, no. what people are feeling. And now, you know what corporates love to do? Hey, listen, when you come into our organization, right, and you sign your employment contract, at the bottom there's an invisible thing that says, I hereby promise to leave all of my bullshit in the car every single day and enter into the space, the sanitized human being, ready to work, regardless of what's happening in any form of my life. Cool sign, happy. And then we come into our space and then we swipe through the turnstile, we say, okay, I've got to leave all of my bullshit in the car. Okay, fantastic. So the organizations, corporates, your spaces say, let's not talk about our feelings. We're not here to talk about the feelings. I need you to be professional. Hmm? And now we're saying that inclusion is a feeling. And that should terrify you. But also not terrify you because yeah. we actually are in control of creating a feeling around us for the people in our spaces. This is the thing. And I think what we're going to do today, the gift that we're going to give you here today, is to uncomplicate what feels like quite a complex understanding or complex thing, right? That this feeling is actually something we can think about. It is something that we can create. It is something that we can be more conscious of and speak to, right? But the fact that it is a feeling is what makes particularly leadership incredibly anxious about this. Absolutely. And really to build on that, as we spend this next hour together, there will be a range of feelings and emotions that may be in the room for you personally. Mm. So I just want to tell you that up front. There may be feelings where there's an affirmation, where you're like, okay, I'm not going crazy, this stuff actually does happen. There may be feelings where you feel challenged. There may be moments where you will get under the collar. All of this stuff, absolutely welcome. But the other thing that's very important is that it's not a requirement that you agree with any of the things that will be positioned. You don't need to agree with us at all. Because I think in this era of social media, we've gotten to a point now in the world where whenever people hold different opinions, we have a culture that says people need to be cancelled. So if your opinion is different from mine, you know what, you must just stay in the corner, stay in your lane. Okay, your voice is not of value. We are losing that skill, which is a skill that you actually require within your corporations, and definitely people who are married would understand this. <laughs> the skill that you need is how can you hold two fundamentally different views with someone? and yet still maintain a mutual respect for each other and respect the views that you hold. I uh, don't need to agree with you, but how can I disagree with you at my very core and still maintain a mutual respect as fellow human beings? That is something that is tough to exercise. But therein lies the unlock, because when we're able to then hear all of these views and all of these different perspectives, it enables us to get closer to that which we're actually trying to drive for. T totally, right? Yes. Absolutely. And I think it's about pitching and it's about framing. So when we come in, and this is just from our experience, right? When we're saying, hey guys, and, and I'm, please take me like tongue in cheek, like how, the amount of conversations we've had. Guys, this is the right thing to do. They're like, okay, no, cool. Right? When we start talking about this is important for talent because it's going to hit your bottom line, then all of a sudden, so it's almost in the space that is so political in a sense, we have to use many tactics in order to bring people to the table. And when we get to one slide, I'll reference back to you as to why we have to frame it like that in order to have make this conversation feel safe. Absolutely. Right. 
but I understand that. So when yeah. we're thinking about this conversation, it's both the right thing to do, it's also for the benefit of South Africa, not only my organization, it's also to make us better people, but then it's also for stronger organizations, better leadership, and so it has to hit, hit on multiple levels. 100%. But I'll reference when we get to that slide, it'll answer yeah. this for you. <laughs> and the reason for that is because the right thing to do is very conceptual. This work is actually the heart work, it's actually the feeling work. Roy and I have not engaged with a single manager, single executive, a single team. Here in South Africa, that's not behind inclusion and transformation, not one, okay? Department of Labor approaches the top 1,000 companies in this country and says, all right, we need for you to submit your employment equity stats. Here's your date, you all understand, you all can put on your plans, absolutely fantastic. Deadline comes out of the top 1,000 companies in this country. 27 companies managed to meet the deadline to submit. 27 out of 1,000. Once again, we've not met a single team, a single executive, a single manager that's not behind transformation. So the things that we'll be getting in for these like few minutes that we have with each other is really this disconnect. Yeah. What's this disconnect? What's this discomfort? What is this dishonesty that we have between that which we profess and we say we aspire to versus what's actually going on in our organizations? Okay. But before we get into that, we just want to show you just a short video snippets regarding the kind of work that we do uh, within the space. So we're going to skip this quickly and move to the slide because this is actually probably the reason that you're here today, in this room at least. This slide here for us captures pretty much the foundation of every conference that has happened globally over the last 36 months. Right? The world is somehow changing. It's becoming X, Y, Z. We need to be ready. We need to be dead. We need to build this. And we need to be all the things. Right? Last year, Dom and I were invited to a conference called Raising Boys and Girls with the Skill Set for a Changing World. And they said, hey, guys, don't you want to come speak? And we said, yeah, of course, we'd love to. Don't you want to open up the conference? Oh, absolutely. We'd love to open up the conference. And we arrived and we said, guys, parents, teachers, leaders, this is it, right? This is the changing world. And they're all like, yeah, this is the changing world. It's so terrifying. Look, they're all disconnected. And we said, okay, well, if this is the changing world, then how do we explain this? Right? And I think at that point, the conference organizers were like, oh, I don't know if this was a good idea for us to open up. And they said, okay, well maybe this is the changing world, right? Betty out of the kitchen, into the workforce, into a cute pantsuit, doing the most, right? And they said, well, if this is the changing world, then how do we explain this? That happened at Checkers last year, 2018. Gifts to wow mom, happy Mother's Day, right? And we kind of said to them, let's think about this idea of a changing world. Because if we're going to buy into the narrative of the changing world, we need to understand what exactly is changing. Because for us, the world is not changing that much. It's becoming more sophisticated at representing the veneer of change, the look of change. But behind, structurally, it's kind of staying very much the same. 
And our caution to everyone here today is that when we buy into the narrative of change, two things happen. Either this, I say, oh, thank goodness those guys are doing the change. I really support you. I just don't have the time, but keep doing the things. I'll like this post. I'll share it. I'll send a donation. Thank you. Keep doing it, right? Support you. Or that change is terrifying. I'm going to pull back. I need to surround myself by safety and protect what I think is right. Either way, there's a pullback. There's a removal when we are buying into the idea that something is changing when really it isn't. So what we said to that conference and we'll say to you, let's forget about raising boys and girls with the skill set for a changing world and rather than our organizations and in our schools, grow ourselves with the skill set to change the world. We're getting a bit of feedback on this mic. Can we just turn it a little bit down for me, please? I can hear a bit of, yeah. Rather with the skill set to change the world. Right? And that's part of what this conversation is. Because when we see movements like marriage equality within the states, we think it's this incredible movement of change, or this devastating movement of change, depends on which side you are. When we look at hashtag me too, we think it's this incredible or devastating movement of change. When we look at Pretoria Girls, this incredible or devastating movement of change. But again, for us, this is just the veneer, right? These aren't these incredible or devastating movements of change. All these are are movements to get people historically on the periphery to point zero, the starting point that other people have been at for centuries. That marriage equality is not this overwhelming movement of change, it's just really to get LGBT people to point zero, the starting point that straight people have been at for centuries, marry the person that you love. That hashtag me too is not this incredible movement of change, it's just really to get women to point zero, the starting point that men had been at, and that is call out to perpetrate and something actually happens. That Pretoria Girls is not this incredible or devastating movement of change, it's just to get young women of color in our schools to point zero the starting point that white girls have been at, and that is not to have their identity policed, not their style, their identity policed through policy. So when we look at these, though they are incredible and incredibly important, let us not say that that is enough. Because you know what we should be focusing on? Not a school that is doing this, right? We should be focusing on how Ms. Patel can, instead of having to protest against a hair policy, be focusing on her maths exam. That is a school beyond zero. We want to come into organizations and say, yes, we have black faces and brown faces and gay faces. That's fantastic. But that's point zero. That's the starting point. That's what it should always have been. What does your organization look like beyond zero? Or rather, what does it feel like beyond zero, right? Because what we're seeing a lot is that numbers conversation. Oh, we're tracking well against our targets. Fantastic. And that's the only discussion that we have, right? So when we're coming into spaces, how do we imagine this organization beyond zero? What does it look like, both internally for the experience, but also the impact on society around us? This, for us, is the organization of the future. Yeah, absolutely. When you see this image, so you just get into Google, type diversity, this is what comes up. What, what thoughts come up for you? What feelings come up for you when you see this image? Just shout it out. What reactions do you have? Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Mm, it's the end thing. Mm-hmm. It's a thing to do. Yeah. It's a fad, uh-huh. yeah. Got you. What other feelings, thoughts come up for you when you see this? One of the best submissions we've ever had is, why do only the white people have electronics? <laughs> Which I think is actually kind of astute. But what happens when you look at this? What happens for you? What do you think? What What reactions do you have? So there's a cynicism when you kind of look at this. Like, yeah, there's there's one element. Yeah. Sure. Visible. Yes. (laughs) This is all of your websites. What are you talking about? Like, this is this is your website. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, this even captures this feeling of diversity, of being the end thing, being the fad. And what's fascinating in this, there's always a range of emotions and responses that come up whenever we show these images. Right? It can be from the ones that you're like, no, people are happy, looks quite cool. Other ones, yeah, it looks contrived because it doesn't go actually deeper to some of the complexities of what diversity is. As an organization, really to the point that you're sharing, sir, this is our response Mm. when we're looking at diversity, okay? Because although we want to make it this nice thing that human beings who just hold hands, we are the world, we are one, and go forward, diversity is actually hard work. Mm. 
And the thing is, if we try to skirt around and not be clear with ourselves and be honest with ourselves that it requires work, then we do not get it right. But if we can get to that spot where we say, actually, this is the thing where we'll need to dig deep and ensure that we work hard in order to be able to get things right, guess what? We're now positioned to be in a space where we're now prepared in order to do the work that's required in order for us to go forward. Mm. All right? So whenever we engage with organizations, they'll then even ask us, what is the business case for diversity? Why must we do these things? Okay? So you can find a McKinsey study. There's a PwC study. The study is going all the way back to the 1980s. If you're sitting in this room and you still need to be convinced why diversity is good for your organization, this bus is left. We're not here for that. Hmm. You guys are smart. You've got access to the internet. You can read all the stuff yourself. Okay? For the sake of Binthara, I'll share three things. That there's a relationship between diversity and our performance. You can, look, you can look at the FTSE Top 100, you can look at the New York Stock Exchange, you name it, wherever there's diverse teams and boards, consistently outperform others. Leadership roles matter. Or rather put differently, diversity in leadership roles matter. Matters. Fact. And there is a penalty for opting out. There's been many brands, local and global, that have made certain decisions and because the right people were not on the table, they made some serious blunders. And therefore, if you don't have the right people and the right diversity around your team, believe me, it's not there may be a penalty. There will be a penalty, just a matter of time. All right? So whenever we're in the space of diversity, there are three narratives that we're seeing that are playing out in South Africa. And these narratives really make it quite difficult and quite uncomfortable for us to engage meaningfully around this discussion of diversity, inclusion, and equality that we're trying to drive for. Mm. One of these narratives are the narrative of what it is that we call my role. Okay? So when you look at a role, and you can help us for a few moments, when you look at Roy, okay, what labels, what value judgments are given when people just look at Roy? So if you look at Roy, you don't know this guy from above, so what are the labels that he gets? Yeah, you see this guy. This what body. What does this body represent? I know you're thinking it, just say it. Just say it. <laughs> yeah? Start with you. My body walking on the streets in South Africa, yeah. what are you going to say about me without you even knowing me? Huh? Privileged? Yeah. What does Which that mean? What? Good? Yes. What else? what else? Where was I educated? What school did I go to? Private school? Where? In St. John's? Mm. Great. Where did I, did I go to university? Maybe Cape Town, mm -hmm. right? What did I study? Actuarial science. <laughs> <laughs> do, where do I live? In Santon? Mm -hmm. Do I drive a car? What car do I drive? Who bought me my car? My dad. <laughs> now, put me inside your organization. What are some of the labels I'm going to get within your organization as an employee? Intelligent, mm -hmm. competent, capable, connected, Maybe my dad knew somebody in this building, that's why I'm in here, right? Maybe on the negative side. Okay. I probably didn't have to work as hard to get there as other people, right? Good. It's always fascinating. That. Really always fascinating. I'll share it later. Mm. So that's my role. That's what my body represents. Whether that is me or isn't me is actually irrelevant. Yeah. Because no one's going to see me for me. They're going to see me as this body first, right? Now, the reason why these conversations are so difficult, right, and why we have to talk about talent, is when we're thinking about this role, what our bodies represent, it is the discomfort with accepting what our bodies represent that is a huge blockade or barrier to having this conversation. So we're in the session with the law firm and senior managing partner, white Afrikaans, guy put an Afrikaans accent on my body, what does it automatically become? Who's going to say it? A racist, right? So I don't even have to do anything. If I've got an Afrikaans accent in this body, I'm probably a racist anyway. So this guy says, he gets super emotional. He's like, you know, I'm trying to drive transformation. I believe in transformation, but everyone sees this white Afrikaans guy. He doesn't get it. And I just want to give up, he said. He got quite emotional. And we kind of let him have his moment. And we said, I'm sorry, my angel. Really? I'm so sorry. I am. But here's the thing. Yeah. Your body's always going to be seen as that first. Always. Whether it's you or not is irrelevant. That's how you're always going to be seen first. So instead of pulling away and saying, well, if you're not going to see me, I'm not going to... We say, it's because you're not going to see me for who I am that I need to lean in and have the conversation and build the, re build the relationship. So this aversion to our role yes. is something which we need to get over, right? 
because look at this difference. What does Dominic's body represent on the streets in South Africa? The black male body. Mm -hmm. B-E-E? Yes. Oh. What does a black male body represent in South Africa? Crime. Sorry? Suspect. Suspect. Mm -hmm. Not quite sharp at the sky. Sorry. Struggle. Yes. Struggle. What are the other value judgments that I attached? Mm, yeah. Tenderpreneur. Interesting. Yeah. Mm, so probably come from disadvantage. I heard yes. Black Diamond as well. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Yeah. Yes. So these coconuts and BE, where, where do those things come from? What informs that? No, it's a question. What informs that? <laughs> mm. <laughs> let's let's test the safety. What gives you let's the yeah? What gives you the impression that Dom would be be tenderpreneur in a coconut? Not mm. no, it's fine. Not Just you personally. General. Yes, we we play. Because when we asked you about Roy, all these things that you told us about being privileged and having a car and being an actual scientist going to UCT, nobody mentioned how Roy speaks or how does he dress. All of these, those things were literally ascribed purely based on the color of his skin. And I know this because we've gone into one of the four big banks and this guy was dressed in a manner that I would not show up in any organization. You know when those tight jeans were in? Yeah, those <laughs> tight jeans, those tricota ones. I had a t-shirt, had a nose ring. Goes there, we get to the reception. Oh, hi, I'm Ram, come to do a presentation. Oh, okay, cool. Here's the room that you can come in. I'm watching the situation. I'm like, there is no chance that I'd come into this bank dressed like that oak. <laughs> so I'm here to do a presentation. People are like, ah, here's what does open, go do the presentation. Right? Because given the historical context that we have within our culture, black professionals have had to learn and learn in very hard ways that we need to put on external markers of trust. You can trust me, look at how I'm dressed. You can trust me, listen to how it is that I speak. All right? I attended a session once, and there's a company from France. Uh, they've got a subsidiary here in South Africa. So the MD from France comes through to then speak to the South African team. So Diego comes in. So Diego grew up in Spain and from France, and he's speaking to the South African in, in, in English. And let me just say that his use of the English language was in technical terms, it was reshuffled, restructured, it was butchering the Queen's English. But Diego was confidently going for it. And people were listening. All right. Diego is done, and when Diego is done, thank you very much, and Diego is just a Frenchman. I then stood up and decided to be cheeky as a South African. I said, my fellow South Africans, being me being a black South African, and if I stood in front of you and spoke English like this guy, you'd be wondering if this guy's capable of even being in front of us. Because for him, he was just a Frenchman. However, how it is that I speak the English language and how I command the Queen's English being a black South African is directly equated to my level of intelligence. Okay? Whether we want to acknowledge it or deny it, I'm pretty certain many of you have sat through interviews. A candidate comes through, this candidate is solid, has graduated cum laude and so forth, has presented, and then when they're done, we all look at each other, great person, but ah, not quite sure if they're going to be the right culture fit. And when you drink deeper, it's like, hey, that Limbope accent. I mean, it's a client-facing role. We're not quite sure. These things are happening. These things are happening. And so can you imagine as organizations how much talent, how much potential, how many things you're losing out on because we're making these quick judgment decisions regardless of people's value or what it is that they can contribute within our spaces because they're not the right culture fit. And please understand that how you're going to see my body and coming into your organization, how you're going to see Dominic's body, again, I need to reiterate, is very much outside of who it is that we may or may not be. But it is going to absolutely change how we navigate the space and how the space interacts with us. That is going to change how we are felt and how people feel us within the space. Yeah. And that's all happening that's quite invisible, but is kind of fundamental in terms of our experience, right? Absolutely. And that's only the first yeah. barrier and challenge. The second narrative is what we're experiencing in this room. Oh, gosh, in the <laughs> biggest way. Right. In the biggest way. And that's a narrative of voicelessness. Okay. People are feeling voiceless. Mm. Yeah. I don't know if it's... You can ask the people. Yeah, white people. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> I think white people, when it comes to conversations around diversity, inclusion, privilege, transformation, be all of that feel completely voiceless. Why? Let's hear. Why do we feel completely voiceless? 
when it comes to these conversations. Come, tell me. Yeah. Mm. So if you can take a, a, a feeling away from that, what is the feeling that makes you feel voiceless in that understanding, with that understanding? Right. Right. So your voice isn't valued in this conversation. Bec- yeah. Yeah. What else? What else makes us no- uh, voiceless? What else? So it's definitely there's a sense of, is my voice valued? The sense of guilt or we won't even be heard anyway. What else? Why else do white people feel voiceless? Something even deeper than. So that mm. these discussions are concerned. Mm. That privilege, race, inclusion, transformation. Mm. Come, tell me. Why do we feel voiceless? Hmm? Yeah. It's like a weird dissonance, right? We're driving transformation, and I'm also part of the problem. <laughs> so it's a kind of a weird, like, ah. But there's also a deep fear that white people have that if I say anything problematic, if I say anything wrong, or even if I sound like I'm trying to question, or if I ask a difficult question, or if I slip up, or whatever the case may be, I'm going to be labeled what? And then what happens? What happens to racists? We jail them, sure. What else in your careers, in, your, in, your, in our corporate spaces? You get fired, your kids get pulled out of school, so white people know the sanction for speaking out. It's yeah. a real fear that white people have. So white people, when we come into these spaces and we have these conversations, right, they're like, I'll come in, but don't expect me to speak. It's too risky. It's too scary. It's too intense. So I'll show up and I'll smile nicely, right? But I'm just not going to say much, even though internally there's a lot of conversation happening, but I'm not going to say much. Absolutely. All right. Black people in corporates a lot. In this room, feel voiceless. in this room, especially where this topic is concerned, why? Mm. So what happens when you speak up regarding inclusion, transformation, the lack of diversity that mm. you want to see within your spaces? Why do black South Africans feel voiceless? <laughs> yeah. Puts in a very apt way. Right? You don't want to be labeled a shit stirrer, is what was said. Mm-hmm. Right. What else? Uh, we can unpack that, but I want to hear other views. <laughs> no. Why else uh, do uh, black people within the South African con- uh, context and corporate also feel a voiceless where this discussion is concerned? Mm-hmm. Right. So don't want to be labeled that. What else? Yeah, huh? Which is a funny feeling, because you're the majority, but you're the majority out there, not in here. <laughs> yeah. So why bother anyway? Trying to raise why these speak? things. Yeah. What else? We've heard some creative ones. Just want to see what else we have in the room. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Yes. Mm. So, so for you, meritocracy does not apply. Uh, we had to meet our numbers, so, you know, <laughs> we need to bring you in. We've heard others that say, whenever I speak up, okay. let me put it in a nicer way, like you're stopping a little Julius. You know, mm. Like we're all trying to have a nice lunch as a family, and here you are, little Julius. What about inclusion? Just, you know, put this thing down. And black South Africans have seen that there's also consequences. When you're a black person in corporate South Africa and you're quite vocal where inclusion and transformation is concerned, there's also consequences. Mm. All of a sudden, a person's career does not move. All of a sudden, people disappear. There are no emails that really explain what it is that happened. And therefore, because we've seen this consequence, they also experience voicelessness. Yeah. 
colored and Indian South Africans, corporate South Africans. Okay? Why do you feel voiceless where this discussion is concerned? We have one or two a of brave you. Brave soul amongst you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When was your voice ever of value anyway? You were kind of fine then, you're kind of fine now, you're not black enough, not white enough. Let the blacks and whites have their zebra conversation, we'll just be here doing the most, kind of staying in the middle. Why now must we come and show up and get, and get our blood print? No, it's fine, just go have a job. Uh -huh. But here's the point. Everyone is feeling voiceless. Mm -hmm. okay? We are talking, but we don't talk in this forum. We'll talk in our canteen tables, we'll talk within our brides. The executives will come into the canteen and they'll be like stepping into 1980 South Africa. They're like, okay, there's the black table, there's the white table, what's going on? We're talking about it, but only in our safe spaces. Right? But recognizing that we're all feeling voiceless is a great equalizer that should then spur us onto the point to then say, how do we begin to create the platforms where we actively bring out the voices to enable us to drive to the solution that we're trying to get to? Mm -hmm. So you must understand that we're all feeling voices for completely different reasons and from different perspectives, but nonetheless, the impact is that people are feeling voiceless, mm -hmm. which then leads us to our third narrative. This, this third narrative is kind of the, the effect of both the two, right? Because how you see me is going to affect how you hear me. And because I'm not in control of these things or the risks are too high, I'm going to protest. And what we're seeing across organizations, right, in all organizations, is this new protest. And it's not necessarily toy-toying. It's really how do I surround myself by people who look and feel and think like me within a space? How do I surround myself with an ideology that I trust where I can speak and not be judged. Now, this creation of enclaves, of the lagering that we're seeing in organization, is a fundamental issue and blocker to social cohesion, social justice, career development, mentorship, sponsorship, skills transfer, innovation, creativity, all of this. But these are the things which are happening below the surface that are external, that are happening in South Africa, that are coming into your organization. And we always use discovery as, a, as an example, and, and we do it because we love discovery and, 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 and have good relationships. But this new big building here in Santon, as many reflective glass panels as we want to put on our buildings will never reflect the anger and fear that exists within South Africa. No matter how many turnstiles and reflective mirrors we have to make, the anger and fear that is in South Africa at the moment is coming into our organizations and it's affecting how it is we are showing up, how we're engaging, how we're participating, who it is we're talking to, why. This is all happening, right? So for us, when we come in, we say, let's recognize and acknowledge that your organization is not this floating island, but is part of a context. And we're dealing with that, my role, that voicelessness and that new protest. But in order for us to unlock all the things that we want to do from an inclusion, from a feeling perspective, we've got to deal with some of these things first. And you know what, it's terrifying, and it is scary, but it's also beautifully equalizing because you know we're all feeling voiceless. And then we have to say, is this a problem? And if it is, cool, what are we gonna do about it? We're not getting even to that point, right? We're not even getting to that point, which is why the numbers become such an easy conversation to have. Because I don't have to talk about myself now, I can say, where's the numbers? And it's not even my fault that the numbers, you know, the, what we hear all the time, this is our favorite thing. You know, young black woman, young black talent, female talent, they just move for the money. We can't retain them, right? They're such hot property in South Africa. They're being offered left, right, and center, and we just can't retain them. Do you know that the research shows that young black women only move for about two and a half thousand rand extra a month? You know what's a tougher question? What is it about my organization that young black women don't feel like they have a home and a space to grow? We don't want to ask that. We can just say, no, it's not me, it's them. They're just moving. Uh -huh. Can't afford them. Well, the other personal favorite, can't find them. Can't find them. Can't find them. Can't find good black actuaries. Can't find good black accountants. Can't find good. Can't find them. They're like these unicorns that we can't find in the space. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, the universities are pumping out this talent, <laughs> but the executives can't find them. <laughs> right. And this is not a conversation about judgment, guys. It's not a conversation about white people. You must go do more and then come back and be better. No, no, no. This is a conversation that we all have to start having. Yeah. Right. If, if we want to be unlocking and creating sustainable organizations. So now we've spoken about the context, we wanna go in to your organization with this really powerful exercise that we're gonna ask you to pull your phones out, because you're gonna, so either your phones or your iPads or whatever's gonna connect to the internet. 
So you're going to go to menti.com, M-E-N-T-I dot com. And then when you get to that home page, you're going to type in the code 990484. 990484, menti.com. And when you're done, you just look up at me till I give you the instruction. M-E-N-T-I dot com, 990484. And when you're in, you can just look up and I'll give you the instruction. So this exercise is the starting point of the conversation. It is so simple, it's so intuitive, and it's so powerful. So we're going to ask you to lean in fully to this exercise, right? Yes, sir. 990484. So this is what we want you to do. We'd like for you to think about your organization, your place of work. Right? Put it in your mind's eye. Now what we'd like you to do is to put your organization in human form. Were your organization to be one person that walks in through this door and stands in front of you here today, what would that person look like? Right? I'm not finished with the instruction. It's not who you want your organization to look like, it's who it is today. It's not what your website says your organization is, it's who it is at this moment. It's not necessarily what the demographic representation is, it's what the space feels like. Who are you greeting every morning? Who are you thanking when you get paid? How do you navigate the space? Now, were your organization to be a person, what would that person look like? What would their race be? What would their gender be? What would their sexual orientation be? Would they be physically abled or disabled? What religion would they practice? What language would they speak? What income bracket would they be in? Don't overthink it. We're going to go now on Menti. You can, put your phone, or you can look at your phone now, and we're going we're gonna to go for it, right? So were your organization to be one person, what would their race be? Black, white, colored, Indian, mixed race. Let's see. No right or wrong answers. Quite intuitive. You're going to say, go to slide. There should be something that says, go to slide. Cool. Thank you. Wonderful. Were your organization to be a person, what would their race be? Let's see. Yeah. Good. Great. Let's move on. Were your organization to be a person, what would the gender be? Male, female, gender non-conforming, gender fluid. Good. Were your organization to be a person, what sexual orientation would they be? Lesbian, straight, gay, bisexual, transgender, asexual? Were your organization to be a person, what person, what sexual orientation would they be? Were your organization to be a person, would they be physically abled or disabled? Were your organization to be a person, what language would they speak? Good. Were your organization to be a person, what do we have next? What religion would they practice? What religion would they practice? Yeah. Or even feel like they were raised under mm -hmm. or raised in. Interesting. And were your organization to be a person, what income bracket would they be in? Lower, middle, upper, middle, upper.
Good. Good. What's always fascinating about this exercise, especially in those diversity dimensions where people feel discomfort. So you'll sit with the organization, the people who are talent managers and so forth, and they'll rattle what the organization looks like, and then we'll go and sit with the exec team. Exec team will be like, it's non-racial, it's non-gendered, it's ASA like, ah, ah, yeah, What does the organization look like? It's always fascinating. You know what's really, really interesting about this exercise, right? Is that there's always a deep sense of discomfort to do it, but yet we always find the exact same responses. So we do this exercise as the starting point for this conversation, right? And again, it has to be done in, non done in a non-judgmental space, and we're going to unpack why. Yeah. But literally 10 times out of 10, doing it from schools all the way up to corporates, even in different jurisdictions, this is what we get. A white male who's straight, able-bodied, Christian-ish, so kind of grew up in a Christian home, doesn't go to church anymore, English Afrikaans speaking, upper income bracket. How do you think we are able to have done what you've done, even though you guys are from completely different organizations? How did you manage to do this? How do you understand this exercise? Hey? How did, you, how did we manage to get here? Yes. Mm. But yes. we did it, right? Yes. Ah. <laughs> But there wasn't really much dispute as to the archetype that we created. I think that's the better question. Whether the, whether the exercise is uncomfortable or not is irrelevant. I think what is interesting is how do we all come to the same experience, to the same... Yeah. Sure. Oh, right, so because of the demographic. Yeah. Yeah. We're paralyzed. Leadership. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Because there was also an interesting one for me. So whenever we think about demographics, mm. I was invited to speak at Queen's College, which is a like former Model C school in Queenstown in the Eastern Cape. Went to speak there for the Freedom Day celebrations. So Queen's, prior to 1994, South Africa being what it is, was pretty much 100% white student population. So 94, no? 94, the Dikies started coming in. South African story once again. Ah, the standards are dropping, white flight. Now, Queens is 95% black student population. Swung completely. Ran this exercise with a gentleman at Queens. 95% black student population, guess who they described? If Queens College was to be put into human form, what would this person look like? which speaks to something regarding a feel. Mm. Because when I was asking these students, 15 to 18 year olds, they said, yeah, we can see that we're mostly black here. But those of us who are recognized within the school are the ones that actually behave and speak and carry themselves in particular ways. And for them, that is, they need to be assimilating to a whiteness in order to be seen within the school. 95% black student population. So when we're talking about feeling, we could replace this with black gay woman. It doesn't necessarily mean we're gonna have a transformed and inclusive organization. Right? Let's unpack this. I want to talk about the discomfort around this exercise because yes. it's really important. So there's two things that we're going to talk about, right? The first thing and the most important thing about this discomfort is this. Listen carefully to me. Number one, this person is not a bad person. Not a bad person. And the narratives that exist in the media and in our social media spaces that whiteness is bad, masculinity is bad, and that this person is the worst person, that's this person, that everything's wrong in the world, that this person is Donald Trump, that this person must fall, da 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 da, is something that we need to push hard against because it's not correct. When we're talking to leadership, it's actually senior leadership say, who we are now, who, we, who do we want to be? They've internalized their own badness and their own redundancy, and we're saying, no, no, that's not the conversation we're having because you know what we're seeing? The senior leadership saying, I really want to mentor young black women, but I'm terrified because I don't know how to give them feedback because I'm scared I'm going to be seen as a racist, so I'm not going to do it. And then we look at them saying, but guys, we need to be creating skills transfer. No, no, it's not me who should be doing this. I don't feel like I'm the right person. I feel redundant. I'm saying, no, you need to lean in. So the first thing we have to say is that this person is not a bad person. We, in fact, like this person. We show up every day. Yes, this person needs to do some work. We all need to. He needs to get it a little bit. Maybe go do a bit more. Re Absolutely, 100%. But bad person, must he fall? Absolutely not. And we push against that. That's not the narrative of inclusion and transformation that we need to drive. 
Absolutely not. The second thing about this exercise is this. As an organization for us, Cohesion Collective, we see organizations, your businesses, as houses. We spend more time there than we do in our own home. It's a series of relationships, hierarchies, roles, responsibilities, and we want you to start seeing your organizations as a house, right? Now, if this is the personification of your organization, then I need you to see your offices as this person's house, the owner of the house. Now, for me, Roy, in this body, this is literally my house. This is the house I grew up in. It's actually here in Morningside, my family home. So I'm going to come into this organization as an employee and Mr. So-and-so will say, Roy, make yourself at home. And you know what? I know exactly what that means. There is no transition from my home into this home. It is a walking in the door. It is completely seamless. I know the rules of the house. I know to break the rules just enough not to get into too much trouble. I know to communicate. I know to build relationships. I know to navigate. I know everything about this house. It's literally my house. Dominic did not grow up in a house like this. So Dominic will come in and this Mr. XYZ will equally say, make yourself at home, Dominic. And he's going to say, thank you. I believe you mean that because you're not a bad person. But please understand, this is actually not my house. I don't understand this house. I don't know the rules of this house. I don't necessarily know how to communicate. I don't really understand any of these values. And I'm going to have to learn the rules. And sometimes if I have to learn the rules, I'm, I'm probably going to get disciplined. And that discipline is going to carry throughout my time within this house. Can I even feel like I can ever be a part and owner of this house when it's not even, it's so unfamiliar within my space, right? So Dom's going to come in. He has to learn the rules and deliver. Me, I'm just delivering. I don't have to learn the rules. That inequality of experience, of employee experience, is going to fundamentally change our engagement within this house. Not because it's excluding Dom and saying, hey, we're not going to invite Dom to lunch when we all... But the experience is just like, this is my house. Right? We would go around the room and we would talk about what is inclusion. And people would say to be heard, to be seen, to be valued, to be listened to, to belong, and all of these things are correct. But it's because all of these things are correct that makes this conversation really muddy and murky. Because now that's valued or belong, we're going to make it super simple today. All inclusion really is, is comfort. Is comfort. How comfortable are you as you to show up in this house every day? Not a version of you as you. How comfortable are you? How comfortable are you? How comfortable are you? How comfortable are you? Comfortable are you? And what we know for a fact is that the closer your identity is to the personification of the house, the more comfortable you're automatically going to be. What we know for a fact is the further your identity is from the personification of the house, the less comfortable you're automatically going to be. And then again, we get to that voicelessness question. We can say, is this a problem? And if we say yes, we can say, okay, well, what are we going to do about it? Because this is not to shame people who are feeling more comfortable. How wonderful to feel comfortable in this house. But you know what we're going to do? Now we're going to lean in to create more comfort for more people. Not to say, oh, I feel so bad. I've got so much comfort. Oh, no, great. You feel comfortable. Amazing. Let's create more. But all we're seeing is that like, oh, I feel bad now that I feel... No, no. Mm -mm. How many of you guys thought about what shoes you were going to wear today? Yeah? Mm -hmm. This morning? Have you thought about your shoes since? When do we think about our shoes after we put them on in the morning? When they are uncomfortable. That's when we know we're wearing shoes, Right? That's the thing. Sometimes leadership or people within organizations say, oh, I don't get this comfort thing. We like, yeah. It's because you are so comfortable. And how great to be comfortable, right? But for somebody who connects with this discomfort, they know that every step in that organization is one that is a little bit... <clears throat> right? Let's check in. <laughs> how are you guys feeling? What's happening? Yes. Yes. Lovely. Yes. Fabulous. Love it. Yes. 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 Beautiful. And uh, enormous. We'll we'll include you in our culture. Uh, it's a great question. 
And you know what, I, just for me personally, which is why I think transformation is actually the best word that we can use, but because transformation has kind of been Very politically co-opted, yep. it comes with like too much, so we kind of go to the softer thing, inclusion, but we could kind of, it's, it's, it's a bit semantic, like a lot of people talk about inclusion and belonging, but we don't like belonging because again, it feels like belonging to what? If I don't want to belong to that space, yep. right? Does that mean I'm now out? No. So we use the words that we have. But like what I think we should be doing is exactly that is not necessarily not breaking down the house and rebuilding it necessarily, but how do we better negotiate the space? So here's what we're seeing with leadership. Leadership saying, look, you know, these millennials, you should have seen how I was managed. I had a file thrown across the room and I turned out fine. You say anything, they pillar of salt, they're crying, they're messaging their parents. And then we're saying, but guys, that's not a negotiation. That's not how we managing anymore. It's a negotiation. How do you like to be managed? This is how I was. What do you need from me? This is what I need from you. And it's the same with culture. That culture can't be top down. The experience can't be top down. How do we negotiate an experience? How do we negotiate a culture? How do we negotiate space? But first, we need to be willing to do it. Absolutely. But if we're all terrified that what it's actually going to be doing is taking away what we have, why would I come and negotiate with you? And it's always being honest with ourselves because often we speak about what it is that we aspire to when we speak of inclusion. We speak about the benefits of mm. having diversity within the teams, but we are seldom very honest regarding what the heck are we actually afraid of losing yeah. in order to become this organization that welcomes, that ensures that everybody feels more comfortable within it and can grow and belong and be nurtured and create a career within the space. Mm. Uh, I've got to sit in, you know, sometimes as a black person, you'd love to have like a fly on the wall conversation. I had a fly-in-the-wall moment <laughs> with the clients of ours that we were working with. So this was a school doing incredibly well. Um, in this school, the parents here in Johannesburg probably pay uh, in the region of about 180,000 rand per annum or more uh, for their children to go to the school. So clearly the parents are not doing badly, not at all. Okay? This school is struggling around this concept of transformation and inclusion and what it is that they're trying to achieve. So they're having a whole series of conversations, whole series of conversations. Eventually I get to a point where we began to ask, but what are you so terrified of losing in order to become the school that the, gir the girls are demanding that you need to be in order for them to truly feel like they belong? So they talked about the people who are their sponsors, they talked about the old girls, you know, trying to hold on to our cultures and traditions. Yeah, grand, hear it. But what are you so afraid of losing? I said, ladies, would it be safe to assume that any student that comes through your door regardless of whether they're mixed race, black, colored, or Indian. If their parents are not good for the money, they're not even bothering knocking at your door. Yes. So money, we can take it off the table. Money is not an issue. Yes. Then what are you so afraid of losing? The moment of honesty came when one of the ladies said that within the private schooling system here in South Africa, they have conversations regarding the tipping point. The tipping point simply puts is that once you get to a particular percentage of black students within your private school, you'll not be, you'll not be given the label of the black school. And so we don't want to be labeled a black school and lose our premium of being able to command 180,000 rand per annum or more for your students. That's what we're actually afraid of in Transform. Okay? You'll speak about the aspirations, but where the rubber hits the road where this discussion is concerned is what are we actually afraid of? to truly become this organization where all of our talents can belong and thrive and be able to grow. Right. Yeah. I just want to, because when we're talking about comfort, right, and that's what we're trying to create is more comfort for more people. Me as somebody who would be comfortable, I might also have to give up a bit of comfort mm. in order to create that equality of experience. And are we willing to do that? Am I willing to give up a bit of comfort in order to create comfort for the greater? That is the tough question, right? That's why we think we keep talking around and around inclusion and transformation because you're not actually sitting saying, what am I willing to lose? What are you willing to lose? And how do we negotiate it? to create the space. That's just, I see we need yeah. to be running out of time. Let's just do these points and then we'll yeah. come to you now. So why do we summarize or rather see inclusion as comfort? Because the more comfortable a person is within your space, the greater the breadth to explore and to excel. Mm -hmm. The more comfortable a, pl a person is, the safer they feel to speak up within the space. The more comfortable one is, the more engaged they are. The more comfortable a person is, the greater they courage to try something and to fail, which is a cornerstone of many organizations when it comes to driving innovation. So if you're saying you're wanting to be an innovative organization and people don't even feel comfortable to try anything mm. because there'll be a huge consequence if they fail, ain't no innovation is going to be happening. 
the more comfortable people are, the greater their willingness to ask for help and to ask for more. And the more comfortable one is, the better one learns. If you look at your talent strategies, if you look at what it is that you're trying to deliver from a leadership perspective, if you look at the organizational cultures that you're saying you're wanting to create within your organization, you're measuring all of these things. All of the stuff is currently happening. And the only decision that we're needing to make is, do we want to do anything about this or not? Right? If we want to do something about it, let's be clear why. If we don't want to do anything about it, even that I respect, but also be clear why and understand the consequences. So when we kind of framed this, that inclusion is the new currency of talent, if we believe that people are the most important within our organization, this comfort is what we're looking for. Why? It's not a millennial thing, right? It's a humanity thing. Yes. That in the face of this fourth industrial revolution of hyper-mechanization, AI, all of these apparently very scary things, the counterbalancing factor is a reliance and an investment in the human and people skill. We are trying to make our organizations more human. We're trying to humanize the space. So when we talk about talent, it's not only young talent. It's all the way up to it's everyone within that organization. How do we start having conversations around comfort? What are the comfort behaviors we need to be building? What are the comfort structures we need to be designing and implementing, right? So for us, inclusion is not this nice to have this fluffy thing at the end of, that we're going to chat about at the end of the board meeting. It is everything that is central to our talent leadership and culture strategies. And for us, at the core of it, the base, is how do we create more comfort within our organizations. And to reiterate, it's not external comforts of beanbags and meal vouchers. It's how does the space make me feel? What is my internal level of comfort? What do I have to check out? What does my manager bring out of me and allow me to bring into the space? Yeah. This is the work, right? So when we're thinking about making more inclusive or transformed organ organizations, it has to be both a behavior change as well as a structure change and taking everyone on the journey, not saying, hey, you white, five white people, we're going to go have a chat about all the stuff that we need to do. No, this has to be an a conversation for all of us, right? And how we all come together and say, I'm scared. I'm scared driving transformation, but I'm also part of the problem. And you know what, I have a three-year-old white boy, who, is he going to... That's anxiety that we bring into this organization that we're not allowed to talk about. Right. Absolutely. Nice. Let's take a moment for everybody to breathe in. <laughs> <laughs> and then just accept this up. So you can imagine, we come into the lion's den, ladies and gents, literally daily, all right? You come into people's organizations and say, you need to create more comfort. Sometimes it goes well, sometimes they're like, I, I get out of here, you don't know what you're talking about. But it is what it is. Uh, what are you feeling at the moment? Mm. What are your questions? What are your concerns? What are some things you'd like clarity on? We'd mm. love to get some of your thoughts. Mm. Yes, ma'am. Mm. 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 Yeah. Yes. We, so that's why this personification is such an uncomfortable but the most important thing. Because only when we can truly understand the personification do we now know what we have to do and who's automatically not going to... And then we can design it. But until we have started on that personification, we're never really even going to know what to do. So how we go about it is many, many ways, right? But it touches from the, from the moment we put out an advert for a position, right? All the way up until somebody departs. We have to design that entire employee experience, not the life cycle, the employee experience through our space. So there's not one thing that we're going to do. There are many things that we have to do in order to create that inclusive employee experience. But for us, the starting point is understanding the nature of the house in a non-judgmental way and saying, okay, well, now we need to work on this because if talent is important, then we need to think about this, right? So uh, unfortunately, it's not one thing. Yeah. Yeah. S simple example, you've got an organization that says they want to promote women in technical uh, areas and women in leadership. And you're like, wonderful. Okay. And I then ask, can I please see your KPIs? When I look at your KPIs, nothing speaks to developing women and to putting them in positions of the technical and leadership. And then five years later, we all sit around the boardroom and we're all confused. Where are these women in technical spaces and in positions of leadership? If from a structural perspective, we're not putting in consequences and rewards in developing women to ensure that they're in technical and leadership spaces, it's not mm -hmm. going to happen. Yes, we can ch try change the behavior, but if the behavior is not supported by the structural elements of what the organization actually measures you on, if you don't have that intersection of structure and behavior, you're not going to achieve that which you're trying to drive for. And a, a simple example. And another from the, from the behavior side is we 
doing some work with senior leadership teams now where we're actually talking about not inclusion, but how to negotiate. So how do we negotiate space? How do we negotiate with comfort? How do we understand comfort? So that's the behavior change element with yeah. senior leadership and the line managers, so the, the cold face of the people interaction. Yeah. So again, it's not necessarily talking about our feelings, it's saying, how do we negotiate? Mm -hmm. Which means I need to understand what I have, right? And that's a conversation around privilege and all of these things, yes. right? But then I have to come and say, now, how am I going to do this? How do I negotiate with somebody? How do I understand the power dynamic? So there's some of that behaviors work and then that structure work, looking at our policies, processes, yeah. all these fantastic things. And that's why as an organization, we see intrusion not as an endpoint, but as a skill set. Because mm. it's a skill that you will need to have in order to continue to reinvent yourself, to continue to be inclusive. Mm. If you see it as an endpoint, mm. we'll then find that we've got new issues that we never thought about. Such a great question. And I, I think what, what we're doing is, firstly, we have to understand that the polarization that we're seeing within our media, and particularly social media, are extremes, right? So the extreme voices are always the loudest ones, which make the large moderate base feel like we actually divided. But when we come into organizations, right, when we are engaging, which is actually quite rare, because the South Africans, we don't engage cross-culturally, cross-race, cross cross-sexuality in, in spaces outside of our workspaces. So what we say to organizations is, let's see your companies as classrooms. We need to be doing that social work internally as well, so we can make better citizens to go out and do the social work there. But it's an acknowledgement that the external stuff is coming into our stuff, and if we can own it and then deal with it and ventilate in this issue I in the space, it will also have an effect externally, right? So it's an acknowledgement that that is coming in and we, need to, and we should talk yeah. about it. Yeah. And so, so that trust is at the base, right? At the foundation of all of the work that we do, right? I think trust is even below comfort. Comfort is just something that we can understand, but at the base of this work that we're trying to do is actually building trust within organization, trust within relationship. What we've presented today is that comfort, but trust is fundamental. Yeah. And again, the challenge to that point is we exist in South Africa built on historical mistrust. So we're taught to mistrust the other, which means our organizations are built on a foundation of mistrust. And we need to own that and start building the trust internally. And then we can start unlocking the inclusion, yeah. the relationships, the comfort. Totally. Absolutely. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for being with us. So I hope there was something of value that you were able to gain for yourself. And I hope we've also been able to clarify to then say, if you're saying that you're serious as an organization and your talent is your most important asset, then creating greater inclusion, creating greater comfort within that space is not something that is negotiable. But hopefully you've had some food for thought. You'll be able to like marinate on this stuff and you can catch us even in between mm. if the stuff that you want to chat to us about. All right. Thank you very much. Thank yeah? you. <laughs>